0: You know, last week we started this new message series called Freedom. And uh, last Sunday, with it being the 4th of July, you know, we really, we spent our time together talking about our freedom that we enjoy as Americans and the role that God has played in shaping our history and how His Word has really helped to form and shape our national story over the years. And if you missed that message, I just want to encourage you to take some time, carve out some time this week. To go online and and watch it again or listen to it on our podcast because we talked about a lot of things that you're not going to hear that much about anymore. We talked about some history that's not widely known and uh, certainly not really talked about in the public square, but it's important for us as Americans to know our real history and the role that God played in it uh, because as I make the case in the message, the reason that we're free is because of God. And because of how we have uh, held ourselves accountable to the word of God. And I think if you remove God from the equation, what happens is you lose your freedom. You forfeit that freedom. So as great as America is, I think that if we're going to be free in the future, it's going to be because the people of God take the lead and lead the way right now. I think this is a strategic time. So make sure you listen to that so that you can be uh, prepared and equipped for that. Uh, But, you know, as great as our freedom is as citizens of the United States, it pales in comparison to our freedom in Christ Jesus. Our freedom in Christ Jesus... Goes beyond nationalities. It goes beyond ethnicities. It goes beyond racial lines. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter what your parents were like or who they were or where they came from. Freedom in Christ is available to anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord. There is freedom for us in Christ Jesus. And Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 it simply says, It is for freedom. That Christ has set us free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And you and I, when we are born again, we become sons and daughters of God and we are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that happens, according to the Word of God, we are free. Not because we've earned freedom, not because we've done something to earn it, but because God has freely given it to us. He's chosen to give it to us by. His grace. And so we should celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus every single day because freedom in Christ is the greatest gift that we could ever receive. It's such a great gift, in fact, that it dominates Jesus' stated mission for coming to the earth as our Savior and Lord. In Luke chapter 4 and if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there with me and take a look at that We're going to be kind of right there today in in uh, in the block of scripture in Luke chapter 4 verses 16 through 21 but when Jesus came on the scene to do and start his earthly ministry after he was baptized after he was tempted in the wilderness He walked into the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, and he made a declaration about himself in Luke chapter 4. And that's what I want us to look at today, and we're going to talk about it just a little bit. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Look at it with me. It says, He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word today. Father, we thank you. We give you praise, Lord, and honor your presence that's in this place. We thank you, God, that you inhabit the praises of your people, God. And we know that you are here today. You're here to move. You're here to have your way in our lives. And God, we surrender to you, Lord. And we ask, God, that you would move and have your way today. Speak to us through your word, Father. I pray that it would penetrate our hearts, that it would take root, and it would produce a harvest of righteousness, Lord, that there would be a transformation that takes place today from being in your presence and hearing your word. And we give you praise for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know what that sound is, but if you guys can try to help me figure out what that is, that would be great, because it's annoying me, it's bothering me real bad. <laughs> you don't even know. It is my mind, yes, I, I know that, thank you. <laughs> the tech crew over here. Okay, we'll see if we can get that fixed. All uh, right. Here in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is quoting the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. It's found in Isaiah chapter 61. And Isaiah was one of the prophets that there were many in the Old Testament that were prophesying about what the Messiah was going to look like when he came on the scene. And so here what Isaiah is doing is he's just letting the people know, this is, this is how you'll know when the Messiah shows up. This is what he's going to do. This is what he's going to look like. This is how you will recognize him. And Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah verbatim, and then he follows it in verse 22 with this line, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, what Jesus is saying right here is, look, the search is over. You've been looking and longing for the Messiah, for the promised one, for centuries, and here I am. I'm here to do all the things that Isaiah and all the other prophets in the Old Testament said that the Messiah, the Christ, was going to come and to do. This Today, this scripture is fulfilled because I am standing right here before you, and I am here to do these very things that I just declared to you. And I find it interesting that of all the things that this prophecy could detail about Jesus' life and ministry, the main theme here is freedom. Of all the prophecies Jesus could have read right here, there were many, many things written about the Messiah, and he could have picked any of those things. Of all those things... He chose something that talked about freedom. He could have quoted Isaiah chapter 7 as he came on the scene right here and talked about his miraculous birth to prove that he was the Messiah. He could have quoted Isaiah chapter 53 and talked about his impending death and how he was going to be a man of sorrows and betrayed by his very countrymen that were standing there listening to him right now as the sign that he was the Messiah. He could have quoted the Old Testament law in Exodus and talked about how he was sinless and perfect, that he was the Lamb of God, that he was perfect in every way, verifying that he was the Messiah. He could have quoted Psalms chapter 78 and talked about his teaching methods and how he would teach the people in parables and say, See, I am the Messiah. Out of the hundreds of Old Testament prophecies that were written about Jesus, he chose the one that talked about the ministry of freedom that he came to bring to lost humanity as the sign that he was the Messiah that the prophets wrote about. And so this declaration in Luke chapter 4, more than anything else, is really a declaration of freedom. And I want to take the next few minutes and just kind of break down these statements of Jesus and talk about how he was and he is the Messiah who's come to bring freedom to the people. And this is how he starts. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Now, his audience the Jews in his hometown of Nazareth they would have understood what that statement meant because they knew the old testament scriptures And in the Old Testament, you can read about how the Spirit of God would come upon someone, and when the Spirit of God came on someone, He would cause them to do things for God that was beyond their normal strength and ability. Now, we know things shifted and changed a little bit in the New Testament with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, He would come and rest on someone and then He would depart, and it was like they would go back to being normal. In the New Testament, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, and He came to stay. Come on, somebody say, praise the Lord. He came to and dwell all believers so that we are a living, moving, breathing temple of the Holy Spirit. He is on me, He is in me, He is with me everywhere that I go. But in the Old Testament, you would see the Spirit of God come upon someone. They would do amazing things that would have otherwise been impossible. For example, Pharaoh, and you read about it all through uh, the scriptures, but for example, Pharaoh acknowledged that when Joseph interpreted his dreams in the book of Genesis, he said, it's because the Spirit of God is on this person. The Bible says that the Spirit of God was on Moses and was with Moses, which allowed him to go and confront another Pharaoh years later and overcome him. Watch this. Despite his own personal limitations in his own strength, his speech, and his own abilities, he was able to overcome the mightiest king in the world and the greatest army in the world because the spirit of God had come and rested upon him you read in the Bible how the spirit of God would come upon people and they would begin to prophesy You read about how the Spirit of God would come upon men in battle and they would begin to do things on the field that were otherwise impossible. I'm talking about people like Samson that would take the jawbone of a donkey and take hundreds of Philistines out. That was because the Spirit of God was on him and was with him. And so Jesus is announcing right here, look, the Spirit of the Lord is on me and that means something supernatural is about to happen. And the people would have understood that. The Spirit of God does not come on people and then everything just stay normal. When the Spirit of God comes on somebody, something supernatural happens. And look at what the Scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 in the New Testament. The Bible says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So, When Jesus made this announcement, the spirit of the Lord is on me, he was letting the people know that the work of the spirit is about to be manifest before your eyes. And that means that people that have been bound up in their sin and shame are about to be made free. People that have been stuck in their sickness and pain are about to be healed. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the spirit of the Lord is on me right now in this moment. And Jesus didn't stop there as he was making this proclamation. Telling the world who he was from the prophet Isaiah in Luke chapter 4. He's detailing the key descriptors of what the Messiah would look like when he showed up on the scene. And then he said this. He says, because the Lord has anointed me. The Lord has anointed me. And here again, the people would have understood this. Because they were students of the Scripture. They went to the synagogue every week. They read these Scriptures. They read the stories. And they understood that the anointing of God is never inconsequential. And when the Lord anointed someone in the Old Testament, that was a game changer for their life. And the anointing of God was an indicator that God was with them and had set them apart to be used mightily in His kingdom and for His purposes. For example, God directed Samuel to anoint a young teenage shepherd boy by the name of David. You remember that story? Samuel came to the house of David, and he said, there's someone here that I'm supposed to anoint. And Jesse wrote out all his sons, the biggest and the brightest and the strongest and all of that. And uh, David walked through all of that, and he was like, or Samuel walked through all of that, and he was like, none of these are going to work. Just give me one second, please. Here we go, mic five. All right, I had to go get David. We're all good, he's here. (laughs) So Samuel gets David, and he's like, okay, that's the one. That's the one that I'm here to anoint. And so Samuel, he, he pours the oil of God upon the head of David. And that was the sign of anointing. And what he was doing is he was anointing David to be the king of Israel. Now, I want you to watch this. The anointing preceded the crowning. The anointing, the crowning would come later. He was anointed to be king, and you would see that happen years later. But the anointing preceded the crowning. The spiritual reality was declared before the physical manifestation showed up on the earth. There was a spiritual manifestation of the anointing that started to work in David's life immediately. And so what happened after David was anointed was absolutely unbelievable because just a short time after that is when we read about how David marched out on a battlefield that grown men were scared to step foot on because on that battlefield there was a giant by the name of Goliath and he was blaspheming God and he was mocking the people of God, daring anyone to come out and shut him up. Well, David stepped up to that challenge. It was David who met him head on when nobody else would go near him. David came out there not with a sword and a shield but with a sling and a stone and he killed that giant and shut him up for good. And this is what we learn from the story. We learn that the anointing makes the difference. See, there was something... About David after he received this anointing. It was the anointing of God at work in his young life. It wasn't his own strength and ability. It was God's power and strength on display through him because the anointing makes the difference. By the way, that same anointing makes the difference in your life too. That anointing today is not reserved just for some. It is available to everyone through the work of Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what happened in David's life can happen in your too where God takes your natural gifts and abilities and he puts his anointing on it and all of a sudden you're able to do something far beyond what you ever dreamed was even imaginable, what you ever thought was possible because the anointing of God, when it touches your life, it changes everything about who you are and what you can do. That's the anointing of God in our lives. That's what the anointing can do. It sets you apart. For service in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus announces here, the Lord has anointed me. And the people are probably wondering, well, why? What's what's this anointing for? Who are you and what are you going to do with this? And this is what Jesus is saying when he said, the Lord has anointed me. He's saying, he's anointed me because I'm about to knock out the giants of sin and death that have been terrorizing the people of God since the beginning of time. I'm going to deliver a knockout blow to them through the cross, and I'm going to take away their authority, and I'm going to shut them up for good because I've been anointed as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the anointing that is on me is so much greater than the anointing that was on King David. It's so much greater than the anointing that was on Moses. It's so much greater than the anointing that was on Elijah. The anointing that is on me is going to take out death, hell, and the grave. I love Colossians chapter 2 verse 15. It says, speaking of Jesus, it says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. See, that's what Jesus did through the cross. Just as David made a public spectacle of Goliath by shutting him up and beating him with a slingshot, Jesus made a public spectacle of sin and death by destroying them through the power of the cross. And look what else the scripture says about the anointing in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. Look at this. It says, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. The yoke shall be destroyed. What is that? It's a, a yoke rested on your neck. It was something that used for oxen as they plowed the field. And if the yoke wasn't right, it was burdensome. It was heavy. But he says the yoke, the weight, the heaviness of sin, the slavery, the bondage that you've been li- living under is destroyed. And what destroys it is the anointing of God. So when the king of glory shows up on the scene and you run into him, he's the anointed one. He's got the power to break the yoke off your life. He's got the power to break you out of bondage and sin and slavery and transform your story. This is what I want you to understand. The anointing means freedom. And Jesus was the anointed one. He came to bring freedom. He goes on in Luke chapter 4 as he's revealing who he really is to the people, that he is the one they've been looking for. He is the Messiah. He says this. He says, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. The good news that Jesus came to proclaim is the gospel. That's literally how the word gospel translates in the New Testament. Gospel means good news. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news for all the world, for all time. It's the good news that we don't have to stay stuck in our sin and shame and under the curse of death any longer we can be set free because of Jesus Christ. And aren't you glad today that he didn't come to just bring the good news to the rich and powerful? or just to the wealthy, just to the accomplished, just to the upper echelons of society. He didn't come to bring it to the religious in Israel. He came to bring the good news of redemption to the poor. He came to the lowly, to the forgotten, to the rejects of society. Just look at the disciples that he chose to the rejects to show forth his glory. The scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. It goes on and says that he chose the lowly things and the despised things of the world to show forth his glory. So listen to me. If that's how you're feeling about yourself today, if I'm, if I'm describing the way you feel about yourself because of the way the world has made you feel or what you've gone through or what you've had to deal with, forgotten, foolish, weak, lowly, despised, rejected, I've got good news for you. You are in prime position for God to show up in your life and transform your your story. You're in a perfect place for God to reveal his glory because you're the one he came to. You're the one he came to save. You're the one he came to with the gospel of his great power. He is just waiting to manifest the power of his presence in your life. He came to bring good news to the poor. So what if you don't have it all together? That's the very thing that qualifies you to receive God's grace. Stop looking to your own strength and ability And start looking to Jesus. The Bible says a contrite heart and a broken spirit, he won't deny. Your help is on the way because your helper is coming to you with good news, with the gospel. He came to bring it to the poor. I'm so thankful for that. And he goes on in Luke chapter 4 as he describes himself, the Messiah, and the work he came to do. And the next line is this. He said, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Again, I want you to think about this. Of all the things that Jesus could have said, there are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament. Of all the things he could have said, he wanted to make sure the world knew, I came to set prisoners free. So what kind of prisoners are we talking about? What kind of prisoners are the ones that Jesus wants to set free? Here's the answer. It's all of them. (laughs) It's all of them. I actually, I want you to watch this video real quick. uh, Some prisoners that are experiencing a move of God. Check this out. This is a ministry called God Behind Bars, and they are seeing a revival in prisons all over America as they go in and offer these worship experiences to prisoners. They are receiving Christ by the hundreds, and this is what's so interesting about it because, yeah, God came to set the prisoners free. They're still serving their sentences, but they're free. That's what's so amazing, and they know that, and they testify to that. I can show you video after video after video of these prisoners that are like, yeah, I'm serving a 99-year sentence that started in 1981, and I know I'm going to spend the rest of my life behind bars, but I am free because of the grace of Jesus Christ, and I've never felt so free in my life. I love it. No matter where we are in life, we can find ourselves in a spiritual prison And when we find ourselves in a spiritual prison, I want you to know that you are the ones that Jesus came to bring freedom to. The the, the people that he came to, the prisoners, that's every single person who's ever been held in a spiritual prison of sin and shame, or a prison of past regrets and failures. And here's the truth. That is every single one of us. We all need to be set free from that kind of prison. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. He came to bring prisoners freedom. That only comes in Christ Jesus. And I love that scripture because the law that sentenced us to spiritual prison and death, has tried to hold us there for the rest of our lives, but it's been overruled and overturned by the law of the Spirit that gives life. That means that in Christ Jesus, we can enjoy joy instead of mourning. We can have faith instead of fear. We can have peace over conflict, love instead of hatred, hope instead of hurt, and life instead of death. I love what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, because he blew the lid off the whole thing. He said the thief has only come to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. That means that if you've been living in a prison of past regret and failure and shame, you don't have to stay in that prison any longer because he came to bring freedom to the prisoners. That's you and that's me today. Every life that's been dominated by sin and death can be free through Jesus And he didn't stop there. He kept on going in Luke chapter 4, and he added this, recovery of sight for the blind. Now, we know recovery of sight for the blind. This was a major theme of Jesus' ministry here on the earth. He healed a lot of people that were blind, if you read the Gospels. And every single one of them, all four of them, you read stories about how he healed blind people. He literally gave them their sight back. But there's more to this proclamation than just physical healing. See, there's spiritual healing as well. There's a healing of the soul that Jesus is going to do so that people can see a hope-filled future again, so that people can see their lives through the lens of God's calling and purpose, so that they can see that they're not just stuck in the life that they've been living, that there can be something better, there can be something else because of God's hope and his purpose in our lives. Paul talked about this in Ephesians chapter four, where he talked about people who are blind in their hearts due to their refusal to see and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So they're blind in their hearts. They can't see anything beyond the miserable life that they've been living. But he adds this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Watch this. The eyes of your heart, not your physical eyes, but the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. See, Jesus wants to open up blinded eyes, yes, but he also wants to open up blinded hearts so that we can see beyond what our life has always been. When the eyes of your heart become enlightened and the eyes of your heart become open, you don't see life on the same terms that you've always seen it, and you don't live your life on the same terms that you've always lived it. You start seeing God's hope for you, God's purpose for you, God's plans for you. You've got a path to walk in, but the eyes of your heart have got to be opened up in order to see that. And the line the enemy is that you are a product of your past and nothing more that nothing will ever change for you, that you are stuck in a cycle that will never end. But the truth of the gospel is that Jesus makes all things new. The scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Hallelujah. The old has gone. The new is here. And all you've got to do is receive that new anointing and that new spirit that he's trying to give you. You can break out of your past. You can break out of that pain. You can break out of that misery. You can break out of regret and guilt and fear. And you can be the child of God that he's called you to be. There's something about a handheld mic that takes me back to like camp meeting, y'all. Hey, my God. So what the Messiah has come to do, while he's going to open up blinded eyes, he's also going to open up blinded hearts so that their outlook on life is not limited to what it's always been, and they can see that they can be transformed by Jesus. See, it's bondage to slavery that causes you to see life like every day is the same and nothing's going to change. That, that, is, that is a miserable life to live, that there's no hope, and you're just literally trying to survive day to day. That is not God's calling for you. That's not what he wants for you. The Bible says that he has a hope for you, It plans for a future that's hope-filled, plans not to harm you, but to prosper you. And so when you begin to see with eyes of your heart that have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, you move out of this hopeless place and into a bright and shining future. And I know sometimes it takes longer than we want it to. But the psalmist said, those who hope in the Lord will never be put to shame. And I love seeing that some of you are walking into God's story for your life right now. And it took a lot of pain. It took a lot of prayer. It took a lot of heartache. Some of you laid on the floor of your bedroom for hours and cried out to God and begged him to change your situation. And you wondered, where is God? And why isn't he hearing me? And why isn't he moving? And why isn't he doing anything? But you remained faithful. You kept your eyes focused on Jesus. And then in just a moment when you thought all hope was lost, the Holy Spirit moved in your situation and hearts and lives and minds began to change and God intervened and now you're living God's dream for your life and you never thought it was possible but now you're walking in an anointing and a testimony of his grace for you that's what God can do Jesus wants you to see beyond where you've always been so that you can become the person that he's destined you to be and it's coming stay faithful stay patient keep your eyes fixed on Jesus he goes on in Luke chapter 4 As he's personalizing his mission statement as the Messiah, he says this, I've come to set the oppressed free. I've come to set oppressed people free. Again, this is amazing to me because freedom is his central message. He could have said anything right here. He could have made any kind of announcement to say, I'm on the scene and I'm the Messiah, but he chose to speak freedom over the people. And who are these oppressed people that he's speaking of? It's every single one of us. Because we've all felt the oppression of sin and death. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says very simply, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And see, sin by its nature is weighty and it's heavy and it's oppressive. And this is what I want you to understand. God did not create you to live under the oppression of sin. You were not created... As a, as a being made in the image of God who is perfect in every way to have to deal with the oppression of sin. That's not the way God created you. And Romans chapter 5 bears this out because you're like, okay, if he didn't create us for that, then why do we have to deal with it? Romans gets into that. Romans chapter 5 verse 19 says, For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. The one man that the scripture is talking about here is Adam. Adam and when he fell into sin when he fell for that lie and that deception in the garden of eden he exposed all of humanity to the curse of sin and the weight of sin the oppression of living under sin so that we've all had to deal with it we've all had to live under its oppression from time to time but again let me just tell you that is taxing that is heavy god did not create you to live your life that way that's not the result of his calling and his purpose for you that's the result of sin that's the result of fallen humanity but the scripture goes on in Romans chapter 5 verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. This scripture is breaking down the difference between Adam and Jesus. While Adam exposed us all to oppression, Jesus invites us all to freedom from that oppression so that he can take that heaviness, that weight off of our shoulders so that we can walk in freedom. And aren't you glad today? that the Messiah did not leave you the way that he found you. He came to you while you were stuck in this miserable place, and he did not turn his back on you. He came to you in your lowest moment, and he intervened right where you were, and he turned your life around because he came to break the power of sin and the curse of sin off of your back and in the age of oppression so that you could finally be free the way that he's called you to be free. You could not do that for yourself. Before Jesus, there was no remedy for the problem of sin. There was no hope beyond death. But what we were powerless to do in and of ourselves, the scripture says, God did for us by sending his son in flesh. He became sinful humanity so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And he has found us in this place of oppression. He came to us when we were weary and tired and battered and broken and worn out and thrown away and forgotten and abused and all of those things. But he didn't leave us like that. He came to set us free. And the scripture says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You are free today if you're a child of God. You're free. Amen. And Jesus ends it all with this statement in Luke chapter 4. He says, I came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's why I'm here. I came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And again, the people of Nazareth, the audience that Jesus was speaking to here, they understood what this meant, that he was talking about the year of jubilee. And this idea, the year of jubilee, was part of the Old Testament law. It was written in. It said every 50 years, the people of God had to celebrate and honor a year of jubilee, which was a year of release. So that means every 50 years, debtors had to be released from their debts. Come on, somebody. Say amen. They're like, when is it? When's it coming up? <laughs> debtors had to be released from their debts. Prisoners had to be set free from their prison sentences. Servants and slaves had to be released from their masters and made free. Why? What was the point of the year of Jubilee? Well, God wanted to remind his people That he did not create them to live their lives in bondage. That maybe they made some mistakes. Maybe they were the product of a bad upbringing. Maybe they were the, the, the product of a bad situation and some things that had happened. But he wanted them to remember that they were created to be free and not enslaved. He wanted to remind them every 50 years. Watch this. Once in every generation of what he did for them way back in Egypt when he brought them out of slavery and out of bondage. It was a reminder to the people of God's nature that he is the God who saves and the God who redeems. And so every 50 years, he mandated that the nation of Israel must honor the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor, not because they did anything to earn it, but because of God's rich love and mercy towards them. So when Jesus made this declaration... When he said, I am proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that he himself is our jubilee. That means that we don't have to wait another day to be released from our debt to sin because our jubilee is now. We don't have to wait another year to be released from our prison sentence to bondage and death. Our jubilee is now. We don't have to stay in a state of slavery for one more moment because Jesus declared our jubilee is now, and that means we are free. We might have been shackled up and in bondage, but we're walking out free in Jesus' name. Everything Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, When he made this declaration and announced the fulfillment of this messianic prophecy from Isaiah, everything he said had to do with our freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from death, freedom from our past, freedom from guilt, freedom from fear, freedom from the lies of the enemy, on and on and on. Freedom, freedom for our future. We can be free. Because God's will for us is freedom in Christ Jesus. I want you to look back at the very first verse that we read today. It's our theme verse for this series. We'll probably look at it every week that we're in this thing. Galatians chapter 5 and 1. It says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom that Christ, why why did God make you free? It's because he made you to be free. He wants you to be free. He wants you to live in freedom. Jesus came to ensure our freedom. And so we have a calling and a right as children of God to be free as long as we acknowledge that he is our Messiah. So let me ask you a question today. Why are so many of us still bound up in things that are not freedom, that are in fact bondage and slavery? I'm talking about things like addictions that seem to follow us around, mindsets that we become entrenched in that go against the Word of God, our past, heartache, pain, wounds in our soul that we have not received healing for and we have not gotten over. I'm talking about things like sin and the hurt that it produces in our relationships and in our lives. See, Paul goes on in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and he says, It's for freedom that Christ has set you free, but he doesn't stop there. He adds, Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What in the world is that about? We just spent the last 25 minutes talking about what Jesus did, and he clearly came to bring us freedom. So how do people who have been set free by Jesus become slaves again? This question has so burdened my heart as a pastor. Because over and over and over again, I've walked with people through the pain of this. I've seen born-again people, people who I have no doubt, they are on their way to heaven. They are saved. They acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, but they're not free. So what's going on? What's happening here? I'm going to get more into this next week, and I don't have time to flesh all this out today, but I want, I want to say this. I'm still learning a lot about this. And I know theologically, I've had people tell me like, you know, there's all these different theological views and you essentially need to put yourself in a box and teach and preach from that theological view. And, uh, and that's not the way I am. I am a student of this book, and I am still learning, and the Holy Spirit reveals things to me all the time. And so I'm not going to box myself in to some theological viewpoint. You will never be able to label me Calvinist or Arminian or Wesley or Pentecostal or charismatic or Baptist or anything else. I won't fit into your box, I promise you. I'm learning, and this is what the Holy Spirit is teaching me to offer a very simplified explanation My salvation experience and my freedom experience are not the same thing. Salvation happens in a moment. The scripture is clear on that. Now, it may take you a while to come to faith in Jesus to work through your fears and doubts and to trust him and believe. But the moment you make that decision to put your trust in Jesus, your salvation is complete. Okay, the scripture says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's all it requires for you to be saved, to acknowledge Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ in your life. Salvation happens in a moment of belief. But then there's this other word that starts with an S that the Holy Spirit does in us called sanctification. And it doesn't happen in a moment, it's a process. And sanctification is the transformation experience we undergo whereby we become more like Jesus over time. And it begins at the moment of salvation, but watch this, it doesn't end until we get to heaven. And so this process of transformation called sanctification is filled with highs and lows, mountains and valleys, times of great spiritual warfare. Sometimes we're victorious and sometimes we feel like we're walking in defeat. There is testing of our faith on every side. We don't skate through this life because we've embraced faith and salvation. No, the warfare just begins when we receive Jesus as our personal Savior. And sometimes we overcome And other times we fall down, and we trip up, and we make mistakes. Sometimes we turn back and go the other way. See, we have a tendency as human beings to get ourselves enslaved again, even after we've tasted the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. You know, the Bible says that we, like sheep, have all gone astray, each to his own way, and that is so true of us. We're all like sheep, and I'm telling you, they are the dumbest animals on the planet. (laughs) We have a nature like sheep, and sometimes we do stupid things. I want you to watch this quick video real quick. Just check this out. and be honest that is describing your life in christ right there isn't it you get rescued you get redeemed you get saved and turn around and jump right back into the pit he just rescued you out of. What's going on? Why do we do it? We're sheep. And this is what I want you to know. There's no condemnation for you because you're a sheep. God knew he gave us a nature of a sheep when he made us. He takes delight and he takes pleasure in rescuing us time and time again. We get under this condemnation and this guilt. Like, I I can't pray again. I've already prayed about this. But that's not, that's not how God's looking at you. It's not condemnation. I think the children of Israel in the wilderness with Moses, it's such an accurate picture of our own spiritual walk. Because, you know, they were miraculously set free by God with, with signs and wonders. Moses delivered the people. He delivered them from slavery and bondage so that they could be free and live in a promised land. But on their march out of Egypt and towards that promised land, if you read the story, you see it over and over and over again where the people begged Moses, take us back to Egypt. They got to the Red Sea. They wanted to go back. They got hungry. They wanted to turn back. They got thirsty. They wanted to turn back. They got mad at Moses. They wanted to turn back. There was a constant pull on them to go back to their old life that God had already delivered them from, where they were willing to exchange their freedom for slavery again, salvation for shackles again. Why is that? Is it it because they didn't want to be free? No. It was because slavery is all they had ever known, and and all they had known their past life was pulling on them like a magnet to come back to it. And I believe that pull is the same for all of us. Listen, it describes our struggle. I remember reading that story for the first time. I was reading the Bible through all the way, and I I kept seeing this, and I'm like, I just read this. They wanted to go back to Egypt again? Happened over and over and over again. They're begging Moses, take us back to Egypt. We had it better there. And I'm like, what is wrong with these people? I started to hate them. And then I got into pastoring, and I was like, it's all of us. We're all like that. I quit. I almost quit earlier today with these mic troubles, I'm telling you. I'm I'm, hanging on by a thread here. But I believe their story describes our spiritual walk. It describes our struggle. Yes, God has delivered us. And yes, there is a promised land. Heaven is awaiting us. We are on our way there. But as we're going there, we are going to have to deal with this magnetic pull on us to come back to our past over and over again. This is what I want you to understand today. Freedom is a journey, not a destination. It's a journey, not a destination. And every day we walk with Jesus We walk into a little bit more freedom. Every day we live free from our past. We get stronger and stronger to overcome it and stay free. You might be in a moment right now where you are battling for your very life. Listen to me. If you keep walking with Jesus, it won't stay like that forever. You are made to be an overcomer, and you will overcome. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony, you are going to get free. That's what the Spirit does in sanctification. He strengthens our spirit so that our spirit man becomes so much stronger and our flesh becomes weaker and weaker so that we can live the life God has called us to live, which is freedom in Christ Jesus. I want the the band to come up and begin to play softly. And just go ahead and stand with me all across the room right now as we get ready to close. You know, these things that describe our past life, this magnetic pull on us, it's, it's things like fear. We sang about earlier today, fears that try to pull us back to the place of struggle and to the place of unbelief and the place of anxiety. It's things like lies from the enemy. Lies are things that have been spoken over us that disagree with what the Word of God says about us. There are lies about God and its nature. There are lies about you and your relationship with God. And some of us, we lived under the stronghold of a lie in our past and that lie, it's hard to, it's hard to let go. It's hard to, it's hard to see a release from that. It's old thinking patterns. That's why the Bible says in the book of Romans that we need transformed by the renewing of our minds. We've got to get over those thinking patterns, those strongholds in the way that we think about life. Sometimes it's addictions and habits that we struggle to break. And you know, we, we find freedom in Christ. We get saved. That's, that's all real, but that addiction is strong. That habit is strong and it's going to take some time to work through it. It's past pain and woundedness that we allow to define us as people. And we begin to build an identity on something other than what God has said about us. And these things, they they, they just increase that magnetic pull on our hearts to turn back, to turn back on God and to give up. And go back to our old lives under sin and rebellion and to live as a slave instead of as a son or daughter. And again, next week, I'm going to talk more in depth about all those things. And I'm going to tell you what I believe the Holy Spirit has revealed to me about the key to finally living in victory over all those things. I'm going to tell you about that next week. And I'm so excited about that. How to become and stay free. But today, this is what I felt like the Lord wanted us to do. I think he wanted us to see him very clearly that he is the one who came to bring freedom. And I believe that he wanted you to hear him proclaim freedom over your life today. And watch this, so that you could repeat it and begin to proclaim it over your own life. See what Jesus said when he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me. That's not just for him, that's for you. That's for all the sons and daughters of God. And so when Jesus proclaimed that and he went about doing good to all who were near him and he healed the sick and he set free the oppressed and he opened blinded eyes and he opened eyes of hearts and he did all of these wonderful, wonderful things, it didn't stop there because on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and Jesus said, greater things will you do than these because I'm going to my Father who's in heaven. And there's an outpouring of the Spirit of God that allows you to not just hear Jesus say, this is what I've come to be for you. It means this is who I am in Christ Jesus and I am free. I am free because Jesus has declared it over me and so now I'm going to declare it over my own life. I'm going to proclaim it over my own family. We do not have to be victims any longer. I will not be a victim to anything. I'm an overcomer. I'm not the tail. I'm the head. I'm not the bottom. I'm the top. God has called me and anointed me and brought me out of sin and death and a pit and crown my head with love and compassion that's who God is in us And we need to see Jesus clearly for who he is, that he's the one who comes to bring freedom. And we need to embrace that freedom and begin to declare it over our own lives. Some of you, you need to spiritually wash your mouth out with soap. You need to quit repeating lies over yourself. You need to quit repeating the attack of the enemy over your life. You need to quit telling yourself, I'm never going to be anything other than what I've always been. That is not God's best for you. That's not what he's called you to. Daughter of God, son of God, there is so much more. Hallelujah. We're going to sing this song in just a minute. And as they do, this is a perfect song for you to turn it into a prayer and declare it over your life and over your family and over your home. I'm going to pray over you. And as they lead us, I want you to do that. Don't just sing the song. Make a prophetic declaration of what God is doing in our hearts. Father, we thank you again today for the power of your word. We thank you for Jesus. Because, Lord, when you stepped on the scene, you changed everything for all time. You change, you reverse the curse. We are no longer under the curse of sin. We live under the favor of grace and freedom. And we're so thankful for that today, God. It would not be possible had it not been for the cross. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We give you praise for the cross. Now, Lord, I pray that the power of the cross would be applied in our hearts right now, the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection, that if I die with Christ, I will be raised up again with Christ, that my old life, if I'll let it die, you'll raise me up in new life again, that I can be born again, that my past doesn't matter, that my family of origin doesn't matter, that my past mistakes and regrets and past sins, they don't matter anymore because there's now No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, I declare freedom over your people today. In Jesus' name, may we walk in your freedom and live in your freedom. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's worship with the band and make this declaration over ourselves today.